0: Hello everybody, welcome to episode 2 of Econ Phonics. I know, it's been a while, you probably expected one two weeks ago and then the week bef- ago, you know, but you know, stuff comes up and so we got busy. Yeah, and you
1: can't get everything you want, okay? You can't get everything <laughs> you want. Be grateful when you get an episode, okay? Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's me, David, one of your co-hosts, as always, and I'm joined by one of my best friends in the world, Lorenzo Silvio. Lorenzo, how hey. are you doing today?
1: Uh, we're doing great mentally. Roller coaster.
0: Listen, physically.
1: Uh, hit PR on the bench, then fucked up my neck. Oh shit! We're gonna no monetization. I already swore in the first minute. There wouldn't
0: be monetization right now, anyways.
1: Oh, perfect. Let's talk about Israel. Jeez. Oh, um, <laughs> um, right. This isn't Kyle's so, show,
0: but. I say oh, be, on yeah. on on all levels we're so back back like we never left. I just had the back two, like we... I just had the best 2 weeks of my life to be honest.
1: You're saying that driving down to Iowa with me wasn't one of the best days of your life going through cornfield after cornfield so after So listen.
0: Cornfield. So before these past 2 weeks, like if I were to rank them, like on a subjective value scale as us Austrians do, I think that my most achieved ends would have been last week Mises U, hanging out with you, first week Mises U. So,
1: <laughs> nice.
0: That's how I'd rank it, so I'd wedge right there in the middle. But if you add a mo- both of the Mises U weeks together, two best weeks of my life.
1: Then give right. me the recap on what the hell Mises U is, because I got snippets, and it looked like there was a lot of cigars.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's another thing to be added on in a little bit. But Mises University <laughs> is a program, a week-long program, where students fly in from all over the country and the world. Like, we had some Brazilians. We had, a, we had like, a Hungarian and a couple Brits. I know. We made jokes about them saying Tuesday instead of Tuesday. <laughs> I know. that. <laughs> I
1: don't allow British in the American
0: Empire. Well, you're going to hate that one of them won the oral exams. Like he what got first a man place. Man woman? Oh, he. Yeah.
1: Damn! Can you give me an oral exam? <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. No. But no. But James is a good ki- is a good guy. He hang hung out at Rothbard Village. But anyways, week long program where you learn where you listen to lectures from some of the best professors and faculty who know about Austrian economics in the world. Professors from colleges like Grove City, from I can't list any other universities off the top of my head. <laughs> But, like, you'll, you get all sorts of faculty from the greatest economics programs that have an Austrian angle or that are just Austrians in an econ program, and they come to, to Auburn, Alabama, and you get to listen to lectures and learn about the basics of the praxeological method all the way up to Austrian business cycle theory in a week plus all sorts of other different ways to apply the Austro-Libertarian tradition to, like, your daily life or the different political issues, and you just spend the entire week doing that, surrounded by other autists who care just as much about this weird niche stuff as you do. It's incredible. So where,
1: where were you on the autism scale?
0: So, I think there were... So here's the autism scale. Here's crippling, debilitating autism. Here's these people are normal. I was right here i was more towards the normal end i would say because i was able to hold a conversation
1: that's a very clear indication of mental stability yeah um well that's not true because i can hold a conversation and i'm incredibly unstable um it it's the autist thing but uh then <laughs> so was there exams i heard something about exams
0: So, there's an oral exam. So, you first get a written test where it's basically they ask you 25 questions about, like, you know, Austrian economic topics, which you should have learned about from your required readings and from the lectures. So, you read all that, and then you take this test. And if you get 20 or more, you get to go and do the first round of the oral exams where you're with one faculty member and they basically ask you questions about, you know, X, Y, or Z, see if you're good enough to pass on through. And then the top six from that group get to go into the final oral exams where they're grilled by all of the professors. All of them. Where you sit down there and they grill you and ask you a bunch of questions and the best three get ranked for third place, second place, first place. First place gets the Douglas E. French prize of $2,500. Which was given to our British citizen and Connor quote said, quote-unquote, it's like the British pound, but better.
1: Now did you where did you did you get to the second round?
0: I did not in fact get to the second second round. I'm not as smart as I thought I would be.
1: I mean, also, it seemed like if I went there only for the purpose of just acing an oral exam when there's people to meet and cigars to smoke and people to talk to, like I don't know, I feel like that that's the true because it's funny because when I went to the Yale conference last year, Now, granted, I was going is not part of a Yale chapter and not intending to be part of Yale in any capacity ever. I'm very sorry to whoever thought that I would ever join Yale. Like, I went there because my friend was there. Um, Shout out, Ben. But uh, like, I went there and there were half of it was like leadership courses of like how to start your chapter and like make your chapter good and like. Um, canvassing and all the all political action stuff, which I find incredibly boring. So you know what I did? I skipped those and hung outside with actually some, part of the time was with the Michael Heiss um, who uh, we talked about music for a few hours or it was this other dude um, Ryan who worked with like an American military news um, thing was very anti-war, big Scott Horton guy, big and all that stuff. Um, and uh, we just talked about music for hours, man. I still I should check in with him, see how he's doing. I think he got married recently. But long story short, it's about the people you meet.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. For Mises, you it was a lot. Of, the lectures are basically the same as if you were to watch them on YouTube, which they're all on YouTube. If you go to the Mises Media YouTube channel, you can watch. Is all Is David
1: the Gordon's secret lecture?
0: No, it is not. That was off the record. It was off the record, always will be, forever shall be, but it was the best lecture of them. So, they made little posters, like, for <laughs> the lecture, just... with David yeah. Gordon, with the Joker ma- makeup.
1: Yeah, I, got I, did... I got one of
0: those. I got one of the post- actual did posters, have, like... and they're printed, like, actual posters, like, on nice little paper and stuff.
1: Did you frame it?
0: I'm gonna frame it, because I got it signed.
1: <laughs> did he have, like, Walter blocks, and like, how about another joke, Walter? <laughs>
0: I did ask him uh, his, one of his jokes, which I will tell you off the air because I'm not going to spoil a David Gordon joke for perspe- possible prospective Mises U students in the future. Um, but Mises U wow. was great, and the the best part isn't like sitting for the lectures because those are basically like what you can find on YouTube. Find those on Mises Media that you, Mises Media's YouTube. They're all there, except for some Q and A sections. Maybe those are in the old live streams, but the live streams aren't up anymore. Um, the best part is interacting with your fellow students, like getting to sit down at meals. You get to hang around other, like, libertarian autists, Austrian economic autists, and you get to go and you get to sit with other faculty. Like, I got to have lunch with people like Patrick Newman, like Sean Rittenauer, who I love Sean Rittenauer's lectures. He's a teacher, a professor over at um, Grove City College. Uh, Jonathan Newman, I got to sit with. I got to, but I, it was like He's
1: my it beard, was, right? Hmm? the one with the beard, He's right? the one with
0: the beard that cannot take a bad photo. Like, that man is a stud.
1: He's a stud. He's ballsy. Did, <laughs> did Connor show you that? I gotta see if Connor knows about that clip. It's an Arnold clip.
0: I I, I can't say I'm familiar with that one. But, yeah, I guess I say with all and hang out and chat with all those guys, it was awesome. I got to go to a pool party, so it's always weird seeing faculty. Like, we have our two newest faculty this year, the T- Tate Fegley and Carl Friedrich Israel. And they were both new and they were always hanging out at Rothbard village with us and stuff. And so that was really cool. Um, as well as, um, just getting to see them at, like we had like a pool party at one point. So they were just like jumping in and out of the pool and stuff. They were doing like, I think they were playing like that game chicken, right? Where you have somebody on the other person's shoulder, shoulders, and they are trying to knock (laughs) the other person off. Stuff like that.
1: I just imagine like all of the fellows, all of like the, like senior fellows going into a pool party. Like David Gordon in a in a speedo. I, I don't think David and Gordon actually went. Were any of the I'm thinking like the old guy, like the, some of the some of like the senior like
0: I don't think I don't remember if Salerno went or not. Um I H- didn't see Hans Mark-
1: Hermann Hoppe flying over from Turkey in a skimpy he, little European speedo. He gave a
0: distant like address. So he addressed us from his home, like he did like a whole live stream thing. Um Oh that's cool. But he wasn't there, unfortunately. Um uh, Mark how, Thorn wasn't how are there. T-
1: um, How articulate is he in his discussions? Because when I was trying to read Hoppa, it's very dense. Yeah, it's very is dense. He, okay. So, He's, is it a lot of moreover and like...
0: So he, he it, it can be pretty dense, but it depends on what you're listening to. Like, um, I listened to our mutual friend, um, Garbage Mane. Or trash main, whatever. Trash main, garbage yep.
1: main doesn't exist, never existed. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking well, about. Well,
0: he suggested a lecture Hoppe gave on libertarianism and the alt right. Like, what are the connections? What do they agree on? What is the whole point of the alt right and such? And uh, that is a, an immaculate lecture. I love it. Hoppa gives a really good lecture in that one. So I think it's just be. It depends on the topic and such. So I don't know. I, I think I would have to re-listen to Hoppa's address to the to Mises U, uh, to really get a grasp of it because I was also a little bit distracted because, you know, looking around all my fellow... Like, it's my first day there with interacting
1: with all my I, I remember that. And I, I don't know if... Did did they did they really put on a big spectacle with some of the speakers or was it very kind of cut-and-dry formal for some of the stuff? like
0: what, what do you mean by, like, big spectacle?
1: So, all right. So this is, like... Yeah, there's lots of lights, lots of music, lots of, like... Flashy introductions for everything. Like when, when, um, I'll send you stuff off air, um, of some videos I took, but it, it was very much like, you know, Dave Smith walking onto the stage with the, like, the gravitas in that room of a rock star. Of like, there were lights or, like going around and there was like loud music. Um, and it was very hype up or would you get that kind of same vibe from the stuff at Muses or was it a little more toned down, which I would prefer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. it, It was very much more toned down. Like the, imagine it's more like a college class kind of when you're there for little lectures. So everyone kind of like walks into the room everyone's chatting and all this stuff and the prof- like the professor will walk onto the stage and they'll be like, oh, it's like two o'clock for example. it was time to get started and then they'll have like their little presentation on like a big screen yeah I... the most the most glamorous introductions that were given were for Connor and Anthony for their debate <laughs> on whether the no... nap was sufficient enough.
1: the basest Papist. Yeah,
0: that was a that was a, that was a fun little debate, and um, I I mean I, I would agree with Connor on the on the resolution what, about
1: what was the debate topic.
0: So the the debate resolution was um, the NAP is sufficient to sustain a free society, and Connor took the negative while Anthony Cesario, the guy who looks like Rasputin, he he took the uh, the affirmative in the debate. And so I think from my angle, I would agree with Connor that I don't think the nap alone can, because I think that
1: there is no moral or that, ethical backing when that's, yes, yeah.
0: in, in a way, but also that um, I think, I think I, I, I had a question for Anthony of the, of the form where it's like humanity obviously showed some preference of, for nonviolence at some point. Right? Like in the very beginning, we um, we agreed in nonviolence like that's the whole reason we're here today because we didn't bash each other's heads in with rocks over scarce resources. Uh, but eventually we created the state right like the modern state because some for some reason or another. And so my question is, why wouldn't that eventually happen if the incentives are so great for the non-aggression principle to sustain itself, why didn't it sustain itself? why? Did we end up with a state? Why wouldn't that happen again in this free society? That's that's my question, and I don't. I think I would obviously like as a as a Christian, I would go and say that's probably like original sin. I would describe that too, how that leads to beha- certain behaviors, and so
1: stuff like that. It's peop- um, it's that, people's preference but... to convenience. It's people's preference to w- not really wanting to, not in like the sheeple, not only think for themselves thing, but it's the, the the concept of I can have someone that. Instead of having to to take care of my own, if you're doing a town, say you're doing a town. and I don't want to, you know, rehash an entire debate that you've watched without me watching it. But um, I think humans are inclined for to convenience. So if someone is like, just give me the money, and I will sort it out to to the people that build the roads, the people that build the the the, the do the fire department, and people that do the police people are going to be inclined okay, to do but, that the, but that's a given
0: anyways because like there's no way to build roads voluntarily it has to be done by a government so that's a given lorenzo like we can continue from here
1: who but who will build the roads Wait, he's going to talk about age of consent next? <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: No, but, um, I, I mean, it's like, I, I, I think it's really more like... along the lines of. I, I think Hoppe said, uh, and I could be totally wrong, so somebody feel free to correct me, is he said that conflict mostly arises out of. Uh, out of conflict over, like, scarce resources. Like, specifically, yeah. a lot of the time, land. Like, there's obviously some unused yeah, land, but that land is often, most of the time, claimed by someone, which is why conflict arises. And so I think that you can make easy appeals towards some centralized authority in the event of a conflict. And so I think that if the, if the reality is that we created a state, right? Like, we started in kind of these Robinson Crusoe perspectives that we use to, like, describe how, here's how an economy could grow. Why couldn't that happen in a free society, And why? What would stop that? What about human nature would have to change? So, I mean,
1: you would you would need a society of autistic people. And I'm not I'm not I'm not like being facetious. I'm I'm being very serious because you need people that are not socially compatible enough to want convenience, and they want to do everything themselves. And if you have that, and they will only cooperate when absolutely necessary. You need to like have humanity. Unlearn a lot of its communal stuff in order for a site like that to work. And you have and the, the problem is that it won't. Like philosophically, I am an anarchist, right? But I would I don't really care if I'm paying taxes to my town. I'm sorry, I know that all of the people are gonna like government. I don't care. I just it's like I this is why and this is I the reason I wouldn't call myself anything like a minarchist or whatever is because I think that number one, those people are dumb and it brings to mind Ayn Rand and any instance of Ayn Rand should be abolished except for the rush lyrics, which are good. Um, But the, (sighs) I like city stateism as the best alternative. I don't, it's not, what I, the difference between like that being a minarchist would be like that's my ideal. It's not my, it's close to my ideal, but it's the best that you'd get. And I think, on a much more pragmatic level, the best you're gonna get is moving to a state in the in the United States with more. It's a di- national divorce, and if national divorce doesn't happen, it's moving to a place where you can pick your tyranny, because the the the, you can't build in Capes and New York, like. Any libertarian movement in New York, any anarchist movement in New York, will never ever work. So leave there immediately, and go somewhere where you at least have a chance of being people or being around people. Yeah. So, so like, I, and I, and I think with the if you're talking in an ideal utopian society, I think the NAP can sustain it, but having it thrive is a different story. Because I think the difference between survival and thriving are two very different things. You could have a society that abides by straight up the non-aggression principle, but I wouldn't want to live in that society. It would work, but it would be a very specific type of person. I mean, that's what like the Wild West would be like, but the lawless part of the Wild West, not the towns that were well-ordered. It was the ones that you had to know who was going to shoot you and who wasn't. And I think whether it be religion, whether it be some other thing, Humans are going to find a way to centralize and 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 make their ethics and morals more compatible. And honestly, I could care less. I, I like having these little philosophical musings, but you know, the, the the chances of a truly free society ever occurring in the next 50 to 100 to 500 years is very small, unless someone gets to the asteroid belt and then they can then they can fund everything. I mean if you if you get to the asteroid belt, I mean but that's 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 implying technology that we don't even have yet. And it's unlike we're going to have that in a very long time considering that we spend our money on fucking poor people instead of actually where it's useful. So take that one clip it, quote it. Fuck poor so, people.
0: <laughs> so, I, I, I think so. Like, the debate was kind of detected with the premise, like, say everyone agreed on the nap already. And I, I, I don't think that that would necessarily work. Because, like, you know, then comes the idea of, like, you know, the happy and Covenant communities, right? I think you need to have something beyond just, like, this acceptance of the non aggression principle. Because I'm thinking more of, like, sure, it can. St- I think a free society could stop itself from. Rev- like, deteriorating back into a state so hypothetically but I don't think it could survive very long because I think there there would be behaviors certain behaviors that would lead to destructions of society and so you have to have something on top of the nap so like the the idea of the we're, debate we're was can the nap al- can the nap alone sustain a free society and to which I would say no I think you need to have something else you need to have that, you know, radical adherence to like, you know, free market capitalism, to hierarchies, and I would say religion to some extent, because I think that I, I think or I think some religion, something re- similar to religion in some way or another, some
1: orderly basis. That's like, and that's what I. It's you know, it's funny as well is when you're talking about happy, uh, and covenant communities. See, I think mainly it's because of the, the the sphere of Liberty Twitter we're in. The hardest part about convincing people about and covenant communities isn't that, oh, you'll have to accept very conservative communities. It's that, oh, no, you won't. You'll have to accept that some people want a covenant community that's quite liberal. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of Hoppians, in quotes, that want their covenant community and go, well, in my base trad society, I'm going to kill the gays and murder the Jews. And that's not, like, a lot of people don't want that. And they're going to sort of say it's very different. And... I'm fine with you accepting your own covenant community, but I think you will not be fine with me creating mine.
0: I would, I would love to. I would love because you can, you can email Hoppa. I mean, it's on his website. Like, and I, I, I'm almost tempted to email him and ask him, "Hey, Hoppa, um, many of your supporters are typically very traditionally conservative in, in their social leanings. What are your social leanings personally, and do you think?" Progressive social leanings can be com- com- compatible with a covenant community. Like I would love to hear his thoughts on that because I've heard think, I've heard tidbits he's, that he's like he's slight he's definitely a little bit more progressive than his average you know supporter who wants is like you know X, I y, think
1: or Z. I think overall he's more conservative than your average person. Oh yeah, but for I sure. think that within your average Hopian. He is probably traditionally conservative, but is not at the level that a lot of Hoppians are, or some, I should not say a lot, because I think that that's a, that's unfair. I think that a lot of people are just edgy online. And then there are some people where you're like, wow, you're really talking about race mixing being bad. Okay. That's a whole separate – that's another thing that's funny is when, you know, because me being right-wing on Twitter, essentially, because, okay, libertarianism, neither left – no, it's right. It's right. Libertarianism is a right-wing ideology. Left libertarians can exist, and market anarchists can exist, and I think that some of them either are misguided or just have principles that I don't particularly agree with as much, but I'm perfectly fine with them. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with interacting with anyone. Putting that out there as well, but um, you know, being right-wing on Twitter, you will have very basic, very basic libertarian principled opinions that are called fascist, and like, oh my God, this is you're such a Nazi. It's like, no, you'll see a Nazi when you see one. Like the the concept of it being entirely hidden in dog whistles and so muddied in code is really stupid. When you can actively see someone going, I think race mixing is bad. I want the preservation of my blank people, whether it just like those people exist and they're very open about that. Me saying I like freedom of association is very different, or I don't believe in some of your delusions is very different. Um, And I think that's, you know, don't cry Nazi. Nazi. All the time because if you cry nazi too much people will stop believing you when the real nazis show their face and when the real nazis show their face they're actually kind of unpleasant and most normal people won't like them but if you just tell them tell them they're a nazi they're more inclined to side with very unpleasant people
0: i'm i mean yeah but i I, even then i still don't think like any there's the less the group there's probably less than, like, 10,000 actual Nazis in the United States
1: of America. I, you like, know what I mean. I know what you mean. I know what white, you mean, white, what like you mean white of nas- like, like, white nationalists. Yeah, like, and, like I've,
0: I've definitely encountered those on the internet, and they're very different than yield average libertarian uh, position. Um, I, I remember, there, yeah. for my for my sack, I which I don't write as often as I should in there, I wrote about, like, you know, Jeff Dice's idea of a post-persuasion America, and I we... we I think I read, like, half. It, I, I think I think it's a good article. I could probably link to it in the bio. You to should. This, to this
1: episode. You should link so you can check the bio, and you can also like, share, and subscribe. Share with all your friends. We're gonna make that very clear. If you don't like it, I I have connections. Okay, so, but
0: <laughs> no, but I, I I think that the hobby idea of a hoppy and covenant community is far more realistic. To the modern age than anything else libertarians like just like, you know, playing all day in Kappes down where everyone has their private property. Or whatever. I think that's Unrealistic. I think obviously I don't even think we're gonna get necessarily like a hoppy and Covenant community I think we're gonna we we're in post persuasion America You're not convincing everyone to accept libertarian ideas and to suddenly oh, we're all gonna go to our private property stuff right now Like there's some people who just aren't compatible with that We're in post persuasion America and post persuasion America doesn't need reconciliation. It needs separation. We need people. Yeah. We need to. We cool. need libertarians. Like we need to realize that like freedom as a concept is very relative. What makes me feel free might be different for you. It might be different for the person who lives down the street from me. It might be different that, from the people who live in like or Portland, Oregon. Like freedom is a very subjective thing. There's obvious rights. There's rights that everyone has. And of course, those rights are going to get violated by the existence of any government whatsoever. But and, but the thing uh, is uh, uh. that freedom is a very relative thing. Like for me to feel free, like I just want low taxes and the ability to kind of like raise, like if I ever have kids in the future, to raise my kids how I f- how I feel when, comfortable. David,
1: when it'll be a when. Yeah,
0: but that's that's what makes me feel free. Like I could live in a state where, say, weed is is illegal. Like I would feel free in that sense because I don't. I'm comfortable not having legal weed because I don't smoke weed. I'm not interested in legal weed. What if
1: they ban cigarettes?
0: I don't think that's going to realistically happen, except in maybe super radically blue states. But oh, we the, need to. Smokers, what, what libertarians need to be minority. doing is libertarians need to find where they feel free, and libertarians need to go and make those areas better for what they're good at, and make those people make people feel comfortable to be able to move to those states. Like look at look at Florida. I don't think we should be ma- trying to make Florida a libertarian utopia. I think libertarians who can live in, live in Florida and feel f- feel free in Florida should go there, and they should go and make Florida good on what it's good on. You know, being good on... Try and make it better on firearms. Make it good on the education system. Make it good, like, on health freedom. Like, make yeah, Florida got- good on those things. And then... Like- don't try to go, like like, oh, we're going to to say it's a tyrant because he doesn't have legal weed. Like, obviously, it's an infringement on people's rights. But encourage those people who care that much about weed to move somewhere where, if that's really their big issue, have them move go to, to somewhere where they... Go to New York. Go to New York. Like, go, go like, to here, somewhere where... jump in for a sec. I need to... Go to, to, I, go I, to I... somewhere where they feel free. Like, libertarians need to be going to these places where they feel free, make those places better in what they feel free and enjoy, and then encourage other people to self-segregate, to move where they feel free. And then we'll you'll see something a lot more similar to a Hoppy and Covenant community.
1: And also with that, I should number one, I'll say, I honestly don't mind at all when weed is not legal because I think that weed smoking is not very good for a society. <clears throat> I said it. I'm a libertarian that supports the legalization of every drug. Yes, every drug. And I think that weed is actually a moral kind of, I don't like it. I've seen what it's done to my friends. I don't like it. Anyway, um, the, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have much, you know, it, we live in a pro- post tradition society. Either you, you kind of accept it or you don't. Um, and if you don't, I don't know what to tell you because you're never going to turn New York red. Like the, 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 closest thing to a libertarian state you even have is New Hampshire. And that's, has its own set of problems. And I, personally wouldn't want to live there unless i was living alone or like living like on an acre with like nobody else and like living in a small village
0: might i add like i i wouldn't feel free in in new hampshire like obviously there's gonna be some people who push back on me for this like very right-wing people but i want to live in a state that has like some big cities like i would love to live in a state that has some big cities because you know what i love the food i love the idea like i don't want to live in a big city but I would love the the ability to be able to go to a city and to hang out and see, oh, here's all these cool things, all these cool sites and stuff. Like, I want that. And I want the warmth. Like, that's part of what makes me feel free. And I like going and cold. interacting with a bunch of, like, autists day in and day out sounds painful. Like, I love interacting with libertarians. Like, I just had the best two weeks of my life interacting with just libertarians. But I also ran into some very normal people. And I don't want to spend 24-7 living around autists. I want to be able to have an encounter with a normal person who doesn't care that much about politics, who I can just like talk about sports or something with. I want to have a normal life. I don't want to be surrounded by hyper-political autists who care. Oh, did you guys see this executive order that Biden just signed? Or did you just see like this random thing that passed the House committee? I don't care. I want to live in a place where I feel free, where I can go and have a normal conversation with someone. And so that's part of what makes me feel free, which is why I would never move to New Hampshire. Like There are people who will thrive in New Hampshire. And good for you, thrive in New Hampshire. That's not for me.
1: If you're if you're working with your hands, if you're working in the trades, if you're working in a thing, and if you want lots of land, if you like four seasons, if you if you don't mind winters, New Hampshire is a place for you. If I like weather-wise, it's the libertarian state I'd want to move most to because I actually like the winter. I like the fall. I actually like brutal long winters are kind of some my jam sometimes. Instead, I'm moving to Texas, which doesn't have brutal winters. It has brutal summers. I don't love the heat, but uh, sacrifices need to be made for liberty in my career. But with that said, should we move on to less less uh, theory-heavy stuff and more fun stuff?
0: I mean, I guess. I mean, I always love to talk a little bit of theory, but I suppose not everyone who listens wants to hear about theory end on and end on, so on and so we, forth. Yeah,
1: we, we've talked like half an hour. on. <laughs> but I, but can I quickly I'm say, like,
0: yeah, one last thing absolutely. about my experience at Mises U, since we kind of like went off on a tangent once we mentioned the debates. Yeah, um,
1: if you want to come back to Mises U. Yeah, we're,
0: we're I'm just going to quickly wrap one thing up, and then we'll move on. Um, but at, when I was at Mises U, I got an article published at the Mises Wire, we're talking about fed now and why i don't think it's a cbdc but it does have like economic disastrous effects possibly obviously i'm not going to go into the argument now you can read the article i will go and link to it in the episode description uh, but then i also went on the human action podcast with dr bob murphy who's one of my intellectual heroes so i wanted to plug that that if you want me to br- hear me break down that i got to go and sit in studio at the mises institute and talk to Bob Murphy about... Does, about does centra- Bob
1: Murphy talk in lowercase? He tweets in lowercase. Does he talk in lowercase? He's very...
0: He's, he's pretty soft-spoken, I would say. But...
1: <laughs> does he do his little quips? He's my favorite reply guy on Twitter. Oh, he's great. Shout out Bob Murphy.
0: But yeah, I got I got invited to do the podcast. I was super excited. So if you want to hear me, like, talk about central bank mechanics, I throw in one analogy to, like, Flappy Bird and one to, like, the dinosaur game on, on Google.
1: Flappy Bird! (laughs) I
0: made reference to those. Bob didn't know what I was talking about, but I made reference to those. So if you want to hear that stuff, go and check out... A Dark
1: Day. R911 was when Flappy Bird was taken off the App Store. That guy got
0: suicide threats. Well, not suicide threats. I mean, suicide threats means something different these days. No, but he got death threats as a result
1: of making that game. Damn. That's R911 when Flappy Bird was taken off. I don't care about two buildings. I care about the. I can't finish. What do you think hit the buildings? It was the bird. <laughs> we okay. Finish your thing no, before I say something that's gonna put me in prison. Mises Institute YouTube,
0: Spotify, and the like, and you can find everything you need to know about uh, Fed now. That's a pod- That's me on the Human Action podcast. So go and check that out if you want to hear me talk central bank mechanics and all that fun stuff. Anyways. So, Lorenzo, you brought up another topic that you thought you kind of wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, so, well, let's get one of them out of the way, because I think it's going to be less heavy discuss- less like intense discussion. Um, so you went to see Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I did see Oppenheimer. Oh, 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 Oppenheimer. What? Oppenheimer.
0: Oppenheimer. Opp- let me, it sounds Oppenheimer. like you're about to do, like, right the, the Gungam style, you know, when he goes, like, whoop no, no,
1: on No, <laughs> no like, uh, like, oh, let me squeeze right past you. Oh, oh, Oppenheimer. Screw you. I can say it too. We're in the Midwest. You're in the Midwest. We're Rust Belt. Rochester's Rust Belt. Oh, I doxed
0: myself. Okay. I d- I don't consider uh-huh. that part of the I don't consider that part of the Midwest, dude. You're an East Coast guy. No,
1: I'm You're not an East, Coast East Coast guy. guy. guy dude, bud. Oh no, you! But I'm not East.
0: So, <laughs> anyways, um, Oppenheimer. So yeah, I went yeah, to go and see it with. So I spent two weeks in Auburn. One was Mises U. One was the week before. And on that Thursday, so not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, we went to go and see uh, Oppenheimer in an, in an an AMC studio in Auburn. Just were very cool. It was a very big studio. There was a lot of people there.
1: You mean theater?
0: Yeah, I don't know why I said studio.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's I, I saw it as well uh, last week, and or no yeah earlier this week, and gotta say I liked it a lot. I think that um, I think it did a very good and even-handed portrayal of showing who Oppenheimer was as a person. I don't think they I don't think they angelicized him or demonized him in any particular category. I think they they showed that he was a terrible person. He was a womanizer. He was a communist, which is, you know, an unforgivable sin. Actually, that's not true I can fix. Women who are communists, hit me up, I can fix you. Yeah,
0: Um, I don't know, man. Catholic Church says being
1: communist is a mortal sin. But I can fix them, don't worry. Trust, trust where we go. Patriots in control. Um, But, uh, no, like, he was a communist, he was a womanizer. He was an egomaniac. He was a coward. He knew... Like he knew what he was doing was awful and he knew it and he just like other physicists were like, you are dropping a terrible, you're giving this to the army. What do you think they're going to do with it? And he just was like, well, it's out of my hands. Like motherfucker, you built that. You knew exactly what it was going to be used for. And then like, you know, I think that there's another, there's the other New York Jewish scientist, um, do you remember do you, you know the person I'm talking about? He's like he's the guy he meets on the train to in Germany who gives him oranges and shit. I um, don't remember either way, the name. He's I don't remember the name, but do you remember the character? Yes,
0: I remember the character. Didn't they meet That's what I'm saying? I don't didn't know. they meet like going to watch like a Heisenberg lecture or something? Wasn't that like Breaking
1: Bad? Not that Heisenberg. <laughs> um but the the interesting thing, like, with that is that, you know, he brings up a good point. like, I'm a pacifist. I'm not going to... You know where this bomb is going. You know where it is. And it's like, I don't want to be part of that. And then it's like, what? Well, you know, we need to use it against the Nazis because they're killing the Jews. Um. Now, here's the thing. At In 1941, the U.S. didn't give a shit about that. I don't,
0: I don't think anyone believed it. Like, there are news reports because of... So... The guy who wrote Right, didn't
1: didn't didn't like the New York Times run cover? Yeah, they
0: basically did. So in World War One, people like Upton Sinclair wrote they they him and the other guys at the New York Times, they wrote a bunch of stuff about like, oh, here's why the Kaiser is doing X, Y, and Z, right? Like how he's doing all these atrocities that ended up being lies. Americans found out they were lies. And so any little reporting on what was going on in Germany, that's that people didn't believe. People didn't believe it was happening because they were thought, "Oh, they're just lying to us again." That's why Americans were so firmly against getting into the Second World War because we just saw it as another conflict in Europe that we wanted to know part of. And so, like they obviously I don't think these scientists would have known that that was happening at the time, which, you know what, but I'll give them let's discount that that like let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I
1: think I think Jews would know. Yeah. Like like if you're like, yeah, you know, I last letter I received was someone in the Warsaw ghetto. And now I don't hear from them again. Like, you know, e- like so. But either way, the American public wouldn't have known or really cared. And the American government wouldn't have cared. Like FDR. Actually, one of the people that you met me this, you um, Praxman, I think I remember seeing him put a thing out. I was like, um, FDR helped. Like, did not care. Like was like, I don't want Jews in my country. Get them out. Like, don't... We're not taking any. Um, And the... Either way, I think that the movie did a good job of showing that Oppenheimer was a terrible person. He was was not a good person. And he was a coward up until the moment that that bomb dropped, and then he remained a coward. But he... But then because he never regretted He never felt remorse, remorse for Hiroshima. He never did. He said that he did. He was like, oh, my, I can't believe... Like He's like, this has to happen so that war won't happen again. Guess what, motherfucker? War happens. And, like, you know, that's what happens. And you put that weapon in the hands of the government knowing full well what they would do with it. You have no moral high ground. And I think that's a very, very, very... Good thing that the that the movie got right. Do you think there's anything the movie got wrong?
0: Um I don't know I, I think
1: Lawrence Pugh is hot boobies. Oh, I like Lord. the boobies.
0: <laughs> of course you went there. No, but um I think that as far as things that got wrong, I, I can only really point to like the the one thing from before. And then the second one being the generals talking about the necessity of dropping an atomic bomb. The Japanese were 100% trying to surrender. Um, I believe Douglas MacArthur acknowledges this in letters that the Japanese Japanese were ready to surrender. They wanted to keep their emperor, you know, to be basically like their little figurehead government, but they were willing to surrender at the time. And then we go and we just nuke them. We kill 200,000 civilians for absolutely no reason. They were ready to surrender. Basically, their only contention was that they wanted to keep... They didn't want to be occupied like you. They didn't. Want, they, they didn't want like a Treaty of Versailles thing, and they wanted to keep their their emperor there, to be like like a figurehead at the least. And, and the, the United States well. was like unacceptable. No, no conditions, and then so they murdered two hundred thousand civilians. Like even if you want to make the argument that we need to drop the atomic bombs somewhere to end the war, why not a military installation? Why not a military base? Why two hundred uh, thousand argument- civilians?
1: like the argument for that one is um, that hiroshima was kind of a manufacturing city now not that i not that i you know agree with that but the, the the other thing now funny story with or funny very kind of interesting story with this like so the japanese wanted to surrender but if american troops landed on the shores like we were going to do they would have fought to the last man cuz that's that's their their honor code they wouldn't have surrendered there. so like what we needed to do was Stop the war instead of Operation Downfall. Because people go, oh, but Operation Downfall, that's when we were going to invade Japan, would have cost millions and millions of lives. Well, yeah, we don't have to do that. They were willing to surrender. But um, one of my coworkers' grandfather was going to be one of the first men off the boats in the invasion force or downfall. So technically, that atomic bomb saved his life. I mean... Which, no, no, I'm not saying that in, like, a a good... I'm just saying that's a weird... It's a very weird, like, story. It's, like, it's a very odd butterfly effect thing. But, either way, I think that, you know, I'm not expecting the Christopher Nolan movie... I'm not expecting a movie coming out nowadays to have as radical messaging as we shouldn't have dropped the bomb. That's a, like we can expose Oppenheimer for who he was. We can do our stuff, but that's a bridge that a lot of Americans are still not willing to cross. And I don't think they will cross it until there's significant, significant like de indoctrination, because one of the first things you're taught with it is like, well, it would have saved millions of lives. It would have saved millions, you know? And I, I think, God, I need to turn off this group chat. Um, the the true, like, you're never going to get that. You're never going to get a a truly radical story like that. I don't think there, in...
0: So, there was one throwaway line where Oppenheimer says something when... Like, there's that other... Like, one of his students, right? Like, one of his first students for his, for his Berkeley campus everything right Mm -hmm. where he talks about he there's like one throwaway line where he says like dropping a bomb on people who were ready to surrender which is this one throwaway line that i think is pretty easy to miss which i think might be almost like this weird acknowledgement of like that hidden dark history that we didn't need to kill two hundred thousand civilians for no reason
1: yeah and that's and that's like that's pretty good in there also my favorite one of my favorite characters was the the guy who was developing the H bomb. He was the dude who yeah, put the sunscreen Yeah, that's sun a student, on.
0: that's a student that I was re- that, that I was referencing. He was I, talking to him. I love him. He's so funny. And he's ta- he's just like, I, I can't do the
1: accent, he but talks in the, the thick German accent. I loved his accent. And... It was great. <laughs> it was great and he had like and I, you know, I think also um from a purely cinematic standpoint, I loved the cinematography, did not like the score. The score was effective but not excellent it did exactly what it it was cheap it was it made you feel the emotions that 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 you wanted to feel during those scenes which is great but there's nothing that you're going to remember afterwards do you remember anything from that score
0: the only thing I remember like sound wise is that the only part of the film that is silent is when the bomb is dropped like that's yeah. that's all there that's, is like that, I, I that's like a, that's a cool... yeah the only thing I remember about anything related to the score is that is the si- the one silent part
1: and that's that's also good. Knowing where to use science is good. But think about that compared to other big. Have you seen Interstellar?
0: I I haven't seen Interstellar. No. Okay. The only Christopher Nolan films I think I've seen before this were the Dark was the Dark Knight trilogy.
1: Which okay, that's perfect, another example. Perfect trilogy. Um, think about think about the theme that plays when the Joker starts doing stuff. That rising, like you want to know how I got these. Like, like, yeah, like, <laughs> have you seen the one where it's like. Then it's like, mommy was a libtard. Kind of a lion drunk. <laughs> when RPG died, she wanted something. Rogue just and got drunk, when... And she's like, why aren't you crying? <laughs> and she wanted me to say something sad for her Twitter. And I didn't do that. And she didn't like that. Not one bit. But the... the no, but like, you think about that type of stuff. Or, um... Another good example. Lord of the Rings. Like... The Shire theme, you'll remember that theme, or the Fellowship theme, or going back like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Harry Potter, all these very Game of Thrones, all these very memorable themes that stick with you to the end. And I think that even if you know it's a it's a Christopher Nolan movie, it's not Game of Thrones, it's not Star, it's not a Space Wizard movie, sure.
0: Are you sure? That's not what I was seeing from that film. It felt like a space wizard movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me a lot of Interstellar, but even Interstellar had its own theme. Like, different themes that people still remember. And that's something that modern uh, movie score composition has gone away from. And it's more these textures and drones that just kind of make you feel something in the movie. It's like pressing a button that goes, be happy, be sad. Yeah, you know, that type of stuff we should and... we
0: should just implant the brain of john williams when he dies into like a supercomputer me like, AI me thing. i will take it <laughs> and then just have that make all of the scores for the various movies
1: uh i think that john williams is good at what he does but i wouldn't want to I, see I do, I think do John like williams high art is really films. good
0: for like what you might consider an epics right
1: Well, he's good. He's well. Also, like Howard Shore, who did *Lord of the Rings*, is also excellent. I think that the 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 I wouldn't want to see either of them do. Actually, Howard Shore did *Gangs in New York*, was another very interesting score. I think that I wouldn't want to see either of them do like these kind of like tender, um, like artsy indie films. Like I think that is something different, and that would be totally thing. But that also doesn't have good melodies. Either way, my rant on that aside, um, I thought it was a good movie. Now there was an even more iconic movie that came out. Barbie, oh, Lord. let's go. The Kennergy was strong. I just saw it uh, last, uh, this past Saturday. I, I did so not wanna... see
0: it for reference. And all, so, all I know is it. that me and Connor, Connor Mortel, we have figured out that we need to practice movie revisionism, where we go and re- we recapture all movies in the lens that benefits us most. And we need to basically paint Ken as the good guy. He's the good guy yeah, that's, in the movie. Yeah, but, that, but
1: that's, not, that's not hard. So do you know the plot? I,
0: I don't really know the plot, no.
1: Okay. All I know do is I saw like, a clip of plot. Ken,
0: he sees Bill Clinton, and he's like, okay.
1: Yeah, so do you do you want to... Okay, so spoilers ahead. Do you want to really have the plot spoiled? For
0: Please me? do. I would not otherwise see it.
1: You, well, I mean, you should see it. It's a funny movie, but... Essentially. Uh, so I should say it was a good movie. I liked it. I thought it was funny. I didn't think it was. It was I didn't Fellas, think it was as it funny as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, it's Ken. It's peak masculinity. Um, but essentially, Barbie lives in Barbie land and Barbies are all the doctors and the lawyers and the nurses in the Supreme corps. It's all Barbie dolls and everything's perfect, and all the Ken's just exist to serve Barbie, and you don't, you don't know where they sleep, you don't know where they live, and no one really cares about them. They're never, they're overlooked. There's also another character called Alan, who is comic relief, and I don't care about him, and he fucking sucks. He's the equivalent of, like, a gay best friend, who's always the one you need to watch out for. If a girl has a, has a gay best friend, watch out. Um, they're like, they're like Grimma Wormtongue in Theoden's ear. In Lord of the Rings? Yeah, that's what they are. So, uh, sorry to all of our our gay friends. (coughs) Uh, So, Barbie starts realizing, like, oh, her feet are becoming flat, and she's got cellulite, and she's having, like, very bad thoughts. So she goes up to Weird Barbie, who is, like, a Barbie that... You know, like, the Barbie that you find in a drawer that's been, like, played with too much, and, like, their hair's cut and all weird... That's Weird Barbie. And Weird Barbie explains that you have, a, you have a link, like every Barbie has a link to its owner in the real world. And if that owner is sad, then the Barbie will also feel those things. So you need to make sure the person... So she has to go back to real world and and, uh, and fix her owner. You have a confused look. Th-
0: this This movie concept is already weird. So the The dolls, right? They exist in like yes. a different world. So this isn't like an Andy's toys kind of thing. It's like a the toys it's subconscious is in a different world.
1: So Barbies exist in a completely different world, and. Now, granted, this is a kids' movie, or not kids, this is a this is not like a high art, high concept sci-fi film. So I'm not expecting them to take the temporal and spatial things with it. But if your owner like that's how weird Barbie is the way she is, is because weird Barbie was fucked around with and and by her owner in real life. So they took the doll and they smashed it and they did it splits and they cut the hair. And then Barbie in Barbie Land looks like that. So they go into Venice Beach. They go to L.A. Barbie and Ken. Ken comes along. Ken tags along. So wait, they, so can. they can
0: also leave.
1: There's a portal. They open up. A, so if something, <laughs> yeah, so they 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 oh, they go there, right?
0: And so, like, are so they, they like the dolls walking around, or are they like full-blooded humans when they? No, they're
1: full-blooded humans. It's so what happens to their dolls? I think it still exists. Cause they are don't think too much about it. Don't okay. think too much about Cause it. Cause this is
0: what I'm getting hung up on from. I hope this was like 90% of that Ben Shapiro review.
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't. There's other stuff and I'll get into that. Cause I, I saw a little bit of it and I, it was stupid, but the, so Barbie and Ken get into the real world. Also it's implied that they're still Barbies, but they're life size and humanoid. But like Ken doesn't have a dick. Because Barbie and Ken dolls don't have genitalia.
0: What, why does Those this become implied? relevant? Is this a kids movie or not?
1: Um, I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> because it's, a, it's, it's... Like, little kids would watch it and get it, but there's a lot of things that would go right over their head. It's kind of like, you know when you watch a, a musical and there's the jokes for the kids and there's the jokes for the adults? Yeah. Remind me of that. So, you go and... So then Barbie goes and tries to find this girl that's been playing with the dolls. And Ken goes and finds what... And Ken realizes, oh, I, I'm, I'm something here. I can be a man. I can, like, any. He, he, he walks an escalator and sees, like, men drinking beer and riding horses and playing golf. And there's men everywhere. And he's like, wow, this is literally me. And then me... And then me watching, and me watching Ryan Gosling, me going, it's literally me. <laughs> um, so then while Barbie's at the school trying to find this person, this and the person, you find out it's not the person, but it's the person's mom. But this 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 girl is like typical teenage like woke SJW type person. She's actually not portrayed to be kind of a good person in the movie. She's kind of a bitch. Like, she calls Barbie a fascist and says she set women's progress back. And, like, with this this tirade that she gives Barbie, because Barbie goes up and is like, hi, don't you guys love me? And, like, she's like, I fucking hate you. And, like, the the way it's portrayed in the movie, she's not the good guy with saying that speech. So, like, it's not, you know, it's, it's funny. But then while he's doing that, Ken goes into the school library and checks out all the books on patriarchy and men. And then... Ken goes back to Barbie land. So then, so Barbie finds the person's mom who's actually been playing with the Barbie because she's feeling sad and lonely. And that is causing the stuff. So then Ken goes back and turns Barbie land into Kendom, where Ken's are the best and all the women are, all the Barbies are subservient. Dudes rock. Dudes rock. He turns the fucking gay ass pussy ass barbie dream house into ken's mojo dojo casa house where there's horses and there's beer and he's dressed in the fucking fur like i love it already and he's dressed in the fringe vest and the fur coat that you've seen in the like the memes in the pictures Can
0: can i interrupt for a second Yes. this just sounds like this movie is like <laughs> targeted towards people our age, like not kids. <laughs> it sounds like it's targeted towards us, just to be hilarious. I think it's,
1: I think it probably somewhat is, but so then goes back and the like the patriarchy and all the Barbies are like, wow, I actually like being subservient, and this is like a nice break from doing all this stuff and all the and the and the Kens and the Kens are like playing guitar for them and watching the Godfather with them and explaining the Godfather to them. <laughs> and like sh- and then it's like, here, let me show you with like all the sports and like showing them how to swing a baseball and like mansplaining to them about like high art and culture and Photoshop. The Ken's, the Ken's become trads and they're chads and they're fucking awesome dudes rock and every, and then when, and then Barbie comes back, Barbie comes back to Ken or come to land with, with the mom and kid. But the mom and kid are kind of eh. Like, I, I I didn't really connect with or relate to them at all. And it's implied that the relationship between the mom and daughter is kind of, like, bad. Like, you know, teenage mom, or teenage daughter-mom relationship not good. Um, and Barbie brings them back thinking it's going to be normal borderland, but they come back and it's all Ken and all the orders are, subserv- are subservient and she has no idea what happened. And then, like, there's this great line when, so, like, Earlier in the movie, Ken wants to stay over at Barbie's house and do boyfriend-girlfriend stuff, which is not, never, and he has no idea what that actually means, which is very funny. But um, Barbie's like, no, sorry, it's girls' night. Every night is girls' night. And then, like, when, when she comes back and tries to go into her house, she, uh, Ken's like, nah, can't do it unless you're my low-commitment low term girlfriend, besides every night is boys night. And he puts on a second pair of sunglasses. I'm like, he's literally (laughs) me. (laughs) I have to see this movie now.
0: Like I have to, I know,
1: right? I have to. It's, it's so good. And then there's like, so then we're going to fast forward a little bit. And like Barbie goes back to weird Barbie who isn't brainwashed. And she says that everyone's actually brainwashed by the Ken's and normal Barbie, like the main care Barbie, is like, I can't, I she, I don't know how to go on. Just leave me here. I hate all this. And then the mom gives a very, like, 2015 feminist speech of, being a woman is so hard. Growing up is so hard. You have to be thin but not too thin and be fancy about new fancy. But you can't be bossy. And it's, just, it's the same shit you've heard from, like, any very kind of, it's not, like, t- 2020 woke. It's very, like, 2015 feminist. If that makes any sense. A little bit. Like it's 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 more kind of shit-lib, like trendy feminism instead of like I'm going to chop your genitals off feminism.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, you know, it's back when feminism was about let me wear my pink pussy hat and protest Trump. Um uh, I knew people that had those in warm at school. Cuz they went to the rallies. I I Shamefully enough, was forced to go to a women, one of those women's marches when Trump got inaugurated in Seneca Falls, where one of the big women's like conventions was back in the day with Susan B. Anthony and shit. Why? I had skeletons in my closet, David. did you David. go? Well, number one, a I was a shit lib and hated Trump, and two, my mom told me I had to go, oh. and I had I had to miss Solo Fest. Um, I was, was I like thought it, it would
0: fun. be like a justifiable excuse, like oh, I was after a chick who was going.
1: I was in seventh grade. Girls hadn't crossed my mind as much yet. But the the um, But no, essentially she gives a speech and then the Barbies are un- some of the Barbies are unbrainwashed and then they have to unbrainwash the other Barbies and they unbrainwash the other Barbies and they have to turn the Kens against each other so they can save Barbie land. And the way they do that is like through... So like the Kens are playing guitar for the Barbie. They're playing guitar so they like the, the stuff. And then... The Barbies, like, get interested in something else and, like, they turn the against, Ken's against each other. It's And then you get that banger musical number, the I'm just Ken, Then everywhere else I'd be at 10. It's a full-on dance and musical number where the Ken's fight and they're singing, and it's so fucking awesome. Ryan Gosling is literally me, David. He's literally me, okay? You need to understand how, cl- how literally me he is. So then after that, Um, you know the Barbies win everything, and then Ken comes back and's like, I don't want to actually rule anything anymore. I hate this all, and essentially comes to the thing of like, Ken needs to learn to be more independent and not just it's because it's Barbie and Ken. It's never just Ken. So he's like, well, you can be Ken too, and you can be Barbie, and you don't have to, you know, just be inextricably attached. And the movie ends with Barbie tr- wanting to become human. She can't be in this fake world anymore. She has to see the real world. She 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 knows what it's like. Essentially, it's like the Matrix. She's taken the red pill. She's you know she she wants to see what real life is like. And the movie ends with her going to the gynecologist. I'm trying to remember what a gynecologist I, is. Women vagina doctor. Oh. <laughs> and I think and and basically it, the last line is she's like at a at a desk and she's like you know i'd like to see my gynecologist please i'm here to see my gynecologist and that's how it ends and you know like i thought was thrown in there and people liked it sorry i had to k- get something off my computer um but um the you know it was like i w- it was good i think that people that were expecting any also one thing i didn't mention is there's a lot of mattel product placement and there's a lot of mattel like they meet the the head ceo mattel who's trying to bring barbie back into barbie land and he's played by Will Ferrell, and it's very funny but not at all integral to the plot so i did not explain it to him because it's not it's not integral to the plot but and there's a lot of that. And you meet the original model for Barbie. Like you see her on a park bench and you see like Barbie goes, you're beautiful. And the old lady goes, I know. She's very weird because um, she's not. Sorry. Sorry, old people. Um, but uh, then. You know, it's just lots of stuff like that. Nothing major. Um, and then. like Yeah, the, the movie was good. It was kind of a very good it did a good job explaining some of things about growing up. I think it kind of was a good coming of age story even as a guy watching it like kind of realizing the real world kind of fucking sucks <laughs> and you have to learn how to live with that and you have to learn how to kind of cope with that and you have to but it's human it's real you know you can't live in a utopia. You have to make the most of what you have. And it was it was interesting. And then we get into the criticisms of it. Um, apparently there was a trans Barbie. Not, not marketed as trans Barbie. There was a trans woman that played a Barbie. I didn't notice. And it, it was never mentioned. Just the actor was trans. That was all that was found out apparently ben shapiro made a big deal about it saying oh, well actually his her his voice was deeper than mine and blah blah, blah. like
0: <laughs> that's not the flex you think it is ben
1: yeah like yeah your voice is really high um but like yeah that was a trans Barbie. do i care no it i like you know it was honestly you know props if you're if you know if you actually if you truly are living your life as a woman and you get a role where you're not explicitly shoved in your face that you're trans and you've managed to pull it off where a lot of normal people wouldn't notice it. Props like live your life, do what you want props. Yeah. Poor one. Uh, um, but the like people are making a stink about that. They're saying that it's horribly woke and horribly feminist. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Did you think that the movie about a, a girl's toy was going to be anything other than, like, girl boss, like, girl power kind of stuff. Like, it's fucking Mattel. It's fucking Barbie. It's not, like, American Girl Doll, the movie might be a little different. I don't want to see that. But, like, or, like, you know, anyone expecting their based right-wing trad movie out of a Barbie movie is so terminally online and retarded that, like, just reduce the problem by one, please. Like... It was fine. It was good. It just, like, I don't know, from what I've explained to you, does it sound any, like, very, very woke or non-woke or something like that?
0: It, it feels like it straddles that weird line where you're not quite sure, where it kind of has, like, the, you know, the corporate, it needs it. Like, I feel like it sounds a lot like, you know, the old, like, the most recent Batman movie, where they have, like, one line where they talk about those rich white men. But, like, otherwise, it, doesn't, it feels just, like, kind of, it sounds like a comedy film. Be honest,
1: it is. It's it, so Sean had did a review of it that I watched today. Um, and one thing she said that it reminded her a lot of like early 2000s comedies. Like, and I've not seen these, but she said around her of like Zoolander. Um, Can't say I've heard, I've it. not. Yeah, so I, um, I listened
0: to a different source. I was listening to Ace underscore arc, you know, Ace under Ace from Twitter. I know, Ace. well, he I has a Ace. podcast called The End Times Continue with it with somebody else who's basically has no Twitter followers at all. His name is Joshua. But they're, they're both I really enjoy the podcast, even if I disagree with Ace on a few things over here and there. Uh, but they were talking about it and how Josh saw he saw the Barbie movie and he saw Oppenheimer and he watched Barbie first and then Oppenheimer. But he was talking about Barbie. And he kind of raised two points, that one, that the entire point is that Ken, Ken built the entire patriarchy for Barbie. That he basically wanted to be there. Like basically he was like, It's that idea, you know, that men do do these do these great things, right? Like they do and build things to get attention from women. And like he said, like that was an interesting point to it. But also that Barbie chooses to leave, right? And that in the end, she chooses not this superficial girl boss life, but she chooses the more complex one. Which I thought yeah, that's an interesting and, point to raise that they would do that sort of thing, right? Like if the and, if it was I just like a standard to... woke movie, right? Like you would assume that the the Barbies would come back, they'd kick ass, right, and they would take down the patriarchy and it would just be the end right there.
1: Well, yeah, and and I think another thing that I I didn't mention because I it's again I focus on the big stuff, and I think this is why you should watch the movie is that the when so she's holding hands with like the the founder of Barbie, the creator of Barbie. And the guru is like just feel and and like you know to be human you can feel. Just feel. And then it's like a two minute I think a minute or two minutes of this montage of like mothers and children and raising children and like a lot of stuff with mothers. And I think that's a very interesting angle to play for a movie that's a very feminist movie, well, cause Greta Gerwig, you know, has said in a lot of her interviews, yeah, you know, I'm a very feminist, this is feminist, this is feminist, that, you know, like, will I take it as that? No. Cause Ken was right all along in dudes rock. But I think that there's something very deep with like, there is a lot of stuff about mothers and motherhood and how the kid, like in a very woke movie, that kid, I told you about that daughter will be seen as a hero But she's not. And at the end of the movie, she reconciles with her mom. She kind of helps her her mom get out of her shell a little bit. And, you know... But she's not a a really likable character in the beginning. If it was a woke movie, they would have shoved that speech down your throat with triumphant music and, like, other stuff to really show it off. But it's not portrayed as that. I, I, you know... I think that it's feminist. It's a feminist movie, but I don't really think that. I also think that there's things that they talk about with Ken that really hit close to home. Like, there's a line where Ken goes, where he's like, you failed me. And he's like, in Barbie Land, I'm nothing. But I go out into the real world and people look at me. And people treat me like I'm something. And, like, that's a really real feeling. That's a real, like, when was it, like, I you know, guys don't get complimented often, especially by, like, maybe by other guys, but especially by women. They never almost, like, I have mean, I've, I, outside of my mom, I don't get compliments a lot from women, like, at all. And I remember a lot of them very, like, I can still remember when this one girl called me, and I, I want her back, god damn it, um, like, uh, Wish you would wouldn't go. I, I I can I can re- I can kind of relate to that. I mean,
0: like when I was at Mises U and I was hanging out with the summer fellows and especially Connor, who's our good friend, like they get g- yeah. gave me the nickname the Young Prince, which is referencing Karl Menger, who raised who is a he was basically um, the custodian of a young Austrian prince the young prince eventually took his life, but he was basically the mentor. That's the whole point. And so they called me the young prince. And just hearing that just kind of, like, made, lifted me up, made me more confident in what I was doing and how I how I was, like, talking to people. And so I, I yeah. can relate. Like, you think... Like, us guys, we think about that. We think about that a lot.
1: Yeah, and that's... And, like, having that movie was, like... It, like, I... Like, I was, like, wow, that really hit. And, like, watching Ken be, like, yeah, like, I... I, like Ken had the bigger character arc, I think. And I think it was a movie about him trying to find who he is and how, like, cause I think it also is true. Barbie built some of this or Ken built some of this stuff for Barbie. And also I will say that the patriarchy is not a serious concept in, in the movie. Essentially what Ken figured out is that the patriarchy is lots of horses and dude's rock and like he has a pull up bar and a punching bag and there's a mount rushmore that was originally barbies and it's just horse heads with cowboy hats on them <laughs> and like and like you know like like there's there's other like you know oh fuck there like there like he has saloon doors and the mojo dojo casa house and like he has other stuff and it's just it's like the patriarchy is not a serious threat and i think that's kind of like That's another thing where it's like I don't think this movie was trying to shove a deep, heavy 2020s woke kind of message down our throats. And also, this is the first time in years that I'm I've been excited about two major movies coming out in the summer. Um, And I think that's kind of a thing of like nature is healing. Maybe I don't know, but like Oppenheimer was. Not leftist. In fact, it really showed. Like, you know, Oppenheimer had the weakness for the bipolar commie pussy. I mean, I feel that, brother. I feel that on a deep and emotional level. But good like, Lord. you know, communist and are good guys, and like the very woke uppity teenage girl is not shown as the good, good, you know, good person in Barbie. And you know, that's refreshing. And to all the people that were just talking about Barbie being woke, this woke, that, you know, go fuck yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think people are just so, they need something to like, if you're a content creator and you're talking about it like that, you're obviously just doing it for clicks. You need rage bait to get people to watch it. But then some people just really need like a conflict or something to be angry at. And so they choose a, barbie movie which yeah i don't know it sounds a lot more complex than it really is
1: it's almost as pointless and useless as libertarian twitter drama
0: so true dude so true
1: like like legitimately i'm touching on that last thing people i think people just nowadays just try to seek any conflict they can and become slathering like just jabbering fucking retards over everything and it's it's sad, man. It's sad. I've watched people that I liked straight up like even when they respected, like I thought they were cool, just turn into caricatures of themselves. You know, always talking about this and that and just diving off the deep end. Like, remember when people were funny? Some yeah. people were funny, and now they just talk about the Jews. Like be funny again. Stop trying to engage in in debate now. Stop trying to you know, tell them everything like go find common ground with someone. Go talk about music with someone. Go like smoke a cigar with someone. Stop fucking it's sick. It's sick man. I I. it, it only took about a year for me to, to go from like a very hopeful young libertarian to just being so dissatisfied and disillusioned with every single part of the movement and everyone in it except for like one percent of people that I'm done like I don't ever it's so I don't know I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just it's been on my mind because it's it's sad. It's sad watching people that I thought were funny and cool turn into just unfunny, preachy, grifting. Maybe that was just them all along.
0: Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I've, I mean, obviously, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you saw. I I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, but I left the LP. I mean, I just kind of see it as ultimately a, a pipe dream. I think that a lot of people don't know what they're doing. I think that, I don't know, I would have, I would have to like write something out to properly be able to articulate my thoughts and feelings about it. But like, obviously like my money at right now is in bettering myself. I care more about the Mises Institute than I do say like the libertarian party or the libertarian movement more broadly. Like I think that'll have more influence. And more I think effect. the Mises
1: Institute has has done more to spread the message of liberty and done better things for libertarians than the party, the Mises Caucus, CLC, whatever has yeah. ever done in its entire life.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would agree, and I, I don't know, I'm not blackpilled. like I'm, I'm not to that point. Like I, I think, I, I, I think that so. I guess I'm coming at it from like a like a like a wannabe Catholic perspective, right? Like, obviously, I haven't been confirmed as a Catholic yet. I'm gonna be doing that this coming fall. Well, this coming winter, obvious winter spring. And I think that the thing that really gets me is that for Christianity, like one of the the core aspects is that I'm, I know Lorenzo, you're probably gonna be like, oh, he's talking about
1: this. Oh, here we but go. I, it's, All it's, right, it's what
0: I was talking about in our in our group chat the other day about how I I look at religion and I see that like it's very easy to accept the idea that you're a flawed individual that you're flawed and you stray from what you should be doing and I think that the Bible makes that very clear like what is and is not good behavior and you can understand why that's considered poor not good behavior and then you add that theological component to it but what, what really gets me, what gets me like, you know, crying in church, right? Like that's literally the only place that I really cry is like at church during mass is um, looking up and I see the statues of like Jesus on the cross. And the whole idea that my religion is predicated on the idea that the God, the one who, who can pass that final judgment, that he, that he cares about us that he made himself into a human right that he came down in human form that he lived with us that he took on the suffering of the entire world that he took your sins and he and he's holding on to them like he's willing to carry them for you carry that burden and then he died like he died he passed the ultimate test and he died for us and that there that this that are that the god that i believe in that i love was willing to die and to accept all of my flaws regardless, to love me unconditionally and to be able to have those arms open, like even no matter how far I stray, like that lost little sheep, his arms are still open for me to kind of come home, to kind of like realize that I've made mistakes, that I can make up for those mistakes, that I can be a better person. Like that is what gives me hope.
1: That and that's and that's so much more important and so much more. And now, granted, I am not a Catholic, I am not particularly religious. Uh, the only thing I have faith in is my ability to fuck things up. Um, <laughs> but that's so much more important than anything that the LP will ever do, than anything that, that a caucus will ever do, you know, like people spent real money. They want real money in real time fighting for something that amounted to a changing of hands of a Twitter account and spent real money in real time fighting over stuff. And what do you have to show for it? A Facebook group? You know, a... As I see what you're saying, there, there's so much more important things. There's there's things that can give you hope, there's things that can give you life, and it's never not, not going to be liberty in your lifetime. It's never going to be, you know, a, a presidential campaign. It's never going to be a, 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 even a local race.
0: I mean, I, I just, I look at so many libertarians, and I see that, I think these are people who are kind of like, they're, that they're basically like, you know, that feeling I have towards religion, that they've applied that to like libertarian politics, like that's their entire life, like their entire yeah. life, their entire personality and persona and their entire success is hinged upon being a part of this thing. And I was like, that's not a way to live life, to live life. And I just identify yourself as, oh, I am X person identified in this political struggle conflict thing. Like that's not healthy. What do and, you think? So many libertarians are deeply unhappy people because they they're fixated on politics the entire time that they can't look beyond that to realize that there's more important things to life like like I'll be honest like if like Ezra Wyrick he posed this really good question that what would you do like say you could go and press a button and you can make every the world free in your lifetime but it would kill you and your family would you press that button and I would say no no amount of freedom is going to get me to betray my family, and I think that makes me a better person.
1: You never turn your back on family.
0: I no, but like
1: in a more like literally, serious, yeah. like you you understand yeah. what I mean. Of course, I understand. No, I get like, you. I get you. I dude. made the joke, but like it's it's yeah. I like, I think that's a. Sort of, there there
0: are some people I, who will press that. There are some libertarians. I think quite a few of them who would be more than comfortable pressing that button. And you need to realize there's there's far more important things than that. Your family is so much more important then
1: your your family's more important every like i think that people have and i think that some of the like people that i like most of the, the libertarian movement have branched off and either i like them for non-liberty reasons for example or the, i like them for a lot non-liberty reasons or they've made a name for themselves in two in more than one ways like i mean if I if I'm looking at like, outside of personal stuff, we'll do that first. Like Kyle Matovic, I like watching his stuff on nutrition more than I mean I I'll catch some of the politics stuff, but like the stuff on nutrition, working out, I've been going to the gym. I that's good advice for me. I ask him about advice on fitness. Um, I Kyle, if you're watching, I still need help with protein powder stuff. Um but you know there's other people i'm trying to think of one off the top of my head but like on a personal level there's friends i've made like ben our friend you know i talk with him about music and life and other shit I'm not, i don't talk i don't talk to him about politics enough we have a strict rule in in the group chat we're in no politics cuz why why are you going to 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 build a brand of everything just on if you if you were to make a list of your top priorities and politics is in your top five, you need to reevaluate your life. So, like,
0: now I kind of want to try that thought experiment. Like, can I list five things more than politics that I care about? Um, I care about God first. My my family.
1: I, I just love, like, for, that very quickly you know the people like the like the douchey influencers on instagram that will like have like god first in their bio like entrepreneur about the hustle yeah that's that's what i think when I no but
0: like i i do think, think that if you're a religious yeah. person like if you're a genuinely religious person and you have like a bio that i think you should list that like your family like your religion and your family first like religion my family my community like i i do love what my community my friends i say my own learning like, I care about that stuff far more than I do politics.
1: I could probably... Yeah, I could... Like, if I'm thinking it's, like... Music, I would I, add, is, like,
0: a six one. Like, I'm I'm not nearly as intellectual with, about music as you are, but, like, I care I far more about music. I listened to Animals
1: twice yesterday. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, was, I was working... I, saw, I might get it on vinyl. I saw it at my local record shop, and I might get Animals. Because that's an album I'd listen to, like, the entire way through a few times. Because Dogs is perfect. I know... I like Pigs... Three different ones. And I, I also love sheep, but dogs just has this like it reminds me of a porcupine tree song. But um yeah, music like if I had to my number one priority, I mean number one is like number one is probably music for me. Number two is my family. But that's because I'm moving away from my family right now. I can't like it will it will go back up in importance once it's done, but like, you know, I'm I'm journeying out. Um, Then it's my friends And then like Then I can list 10 or 15 other I can you know like getting a girlfriend And then other and then a bunch of other hobbies And other things that I care about way more than I do politics I Politics Kind of fucked with me A lot and I think I would Like I Joke about wishing I could have Taken the blue pill again But a big part of me just Is sick and tired of having to even think about anything with politics ever again, I'm done. I want I want to be blissfully ignorant, but I can't, and I, and you can't, and a lot of us can't, and it's we we took the red pill. I I, th- I think when I when I think of like
0: my my thing with politics is that I I, I want to live like Murray Rothbard did. Murray Rothbard was like the man was brilliant he knew everything there was to know he knew political strategy he knew philosophy he knew economics he knew all of this, he knew all the history but you know what what murray rothbard did he loved life like that was a man who was in love with life like he knew the worst now, of did the worst. did he drive drunk i don't know about that i can't speak to and that he did not but he murray life. rothbard loved life and I, I go and i like i probably mentioned this so often these days, but I look and I go onto his, if you go onto his Wikipedia page and you scroll down into his personal life, like you read that he loved his wife. He loved Joey Rothbard. Like that was, Joey Rothbard was his life. And then he would start every day. He would wake up at 11 in the morning because the man could set his own schedule. That's what I want. But he would call his best friend in the world. He'd call Lou Rockwell and they would talk for hours and they would laugh on the phone. And they, that's what they did. That was the life Murray Rothbard had. And Murray Rothbard was a man in love with life, despite all the politics, despite all the worst of the world that this man had seen. He lived through the 60s. He lived well, through the I'm 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Yeah. But the man was in love I, hey, with life everywhere The
1: way. 80s and 70s sounds great. Are you kidding? Pink Floyd,
0: Rush. But you know like, what I mean. All of the 80s. You know what I mean from like, his, from what he was interested in. Like the man. Return. We need to go bet. I know, I know. Like,
1: we, he he this was a man who life. was in
0: love with life, yeah, regardless and, and, of everything. And I think libertarians need to find a way to do that. They need to find a way to love life regardless of this. Instead of blaming all of your problems on the government, being like, the government is why I'm unhappy. No. Be in charge of your own life. Find a way to be happy Please outside no. of politics. Like, legitimately. And that's what also makes me sad about Jordan Peterson. Like, Jordan Peterson was a role model. And like when he's talking about like the Bible, like breaking down the Bible as applies to your life or breaking down like how to live a better life. Like that's where he's good at. When he starts talking politics and this weird stuff he does on Twitter, it makes me genuinely sad. This is a man I looked up to that fell into this.
1: Yeah. You're like, you people need to find a world. way to
0: love life regardless of the stupid politics of it. Murray Rothbard was a happy warrior. You need to be a happy warrior too.
1: Be a happy warrior, but don't stop being a warrior. Never let your guard down. But, well, I should I should, I should should say, always fight for what you want to fight for, but always be happy. And if you can't be happy, well, <laughs> join the club, brother. So, uh, I'm going to
0: suggest to you, and I'm going to suggest to everyone watching, the Mises Institute had a great panel on Wednesday, I think it was, where it was Lou Rockwell and Pat Barnett and Joe Salerno and all the people who helped found the institute, uh, the Ludwig von Mises Institute. And they talked about their struggles with that and starting it off and what it was like in the beginning, and what it was like being around Murray Rothbard. And I asked a question like, "How did Roth? What would you take to be, from Rothbard to be, uh, to keep being happy warriors?" And I would watch that lecture, and look at it and see these people started from nothing and they have the Ludwig von Mises Institute. Like you, like listen yeah. to that panel, internalize
1: what they say. I, I will, I will, and I I think as a kind of closing off all this, cause I do have to leave soon and walk my dog. But I think that if you, I think a lot of, of us feel this way right now. I think that there's an overarching feeling, you know, with everyone that is just, we're, we're so sick. We're disillusioned. A lot of us are disillusioned. A lot of us are, very fed up with everything going on, and I think that you just gotta step away. I did a show, I did an episode with Kyle Matovic. I, I did one that uh, I think you guys should check out. Um, I can't remember what he called it, but it's a few months back. I think it's like April something, and I talk about how it's like the five stages of grief, and I don't really want to go over that again right now because I'm tired, <laughs> but you just kind of learn to accept, like, you won't get the liberty in your lifetime. And you just need to learn how to be happy. Because being happy is a thousand times more important than just being... F- being, I shouldn't say being free. Because in your happiness, there is freedom. But I think that your happiness is much more important than your perceived struggles for liberty. Because your perceived struggles for liberty are a lot of times not truly what's what's causing the conflict in your heart. I So with that I couldn't agree
0: more. And so I think that is a good time to end it here, to end the episode.
1: So Yeah, what
0: have we learned today? Ken is right. Ken is right. Dude's rock. I am the young prince, apparently.
1: You're the young prince. (laughs) And uh, Drive drunk. (laughs) Drive drunk and be happy warriors. Yeah.
0: So Lorenzo, where can where can the people find you? Where can they connect with you and what you're doing?
1: All right. so for politics stuff or politics adjacent stuff where you can seem to be a real retard. Uh, go to my Twitter, um, Prague underscore enjoyer7. seven. Um, that is where I get to be on read hard. If you want to see my more of my music stuff and less stuff, you can find me on Instagram at Lorenzo underscore Silvio. If you bring up politics, I will not be happy. That is a politics free zone unless I initiate a political thing. I, I said this last time as well, but I'm going to keep saying it because I want to make sure that's true. I need I have a career at stake. Um or an up- a budding career at stake. Um, outside of that, not much. You can check out my band Pulse Weaver on Spotify. We have an album. I highly recommend you listen to it. It's very good. Um, but yeah, David, where they can where can they find you?
0: Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at real David B J R for Junior. And you can find me on Instagram at the same handle. i got some stuff with the Mises Institute from Mises U if you want to check that out. Also, subscribe to the Mises Institute's Instagram. You can find lots of great content um, from Mises University. Um, new thing, uh, if you w- want to get a book from the Ludwig von Mises Institute, and we have a wide variety of books. If you want a physical book that you can go and sit down and read in your free time when the internet ultimately collapses... Uh, consider using promo code Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, and you can get 10% off. You've from- got
1: a promo I got a promo code.
0: code. You can get 10% <laughs> oh, oh, off yeah. on a book purchase, on any purchase of books, at the Ludwig von Mises Institute when you go to the checkout. So the Mises store, so just go to Mises.org, and then go and click that button, little green button that says visit the store, and you can get some great books. And remember to use discount code, code Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, at checkout, and you'll be able to have that great benefit. So be sure to check that out, buy some books on the Mises and to educate yourself and be a happy Warriors. Okay, guys. Right? Right,
1: Lorenzo? Right. We out. We out.
0: So let's go.